a scripture reading is from Isaiah 11, first 10 verses. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With his breath, with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put his hand onto the, into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for these people. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. Good morning. morning. I have a confession to make. I'm a week ahead on, so this is next week's children's message. But that's okay, because it's all part of Advent, and it's all part of preparing, right? So last week we talked about the game Shoots and Ladders. Did anybody play it? I know the kids, we played it downstairs after, uh, when we went downstairs after our lesson. Um, So I brought another game today. This one is kind of a two-person game, but it's a lot of fun. Connect Four? Yeah? It's a lot of fun. Um, My other set broke, so I had to get a new one. And this one's really tiny, so I hope you can see it. But it basically, how this game works is you take your little piece and you have to drop it down. And the idea is to make four in a row. So it's like a glorified tic-tac-toe. Tic-tac-toe is three in a row. This is four in a row. So you put your little thingies in, and you hope that the other person doesn't get the four in a row before you do. But the, tr- the trick is that it doesn't always go the way you plan it. So you make mistakes. Like, I shouldn't have put that, one, that red one there. I should have put it here. Then I would have had it going up. But I put it in the wrong place. And sometimes we make mistakes. Let's see if I can fix that. Mm, let's see, where would I go next? There. But then this person could go there. Uh-oh. That cut that off. Whoops. I'll put another one here. Oh, oh, I blew it again. I should have put it there. But the whole plan is to make the path straight. A four-in-a-row straight line. And it reminds me of the, what John the Baptist came to say. Prepare. Make the way straight. Yes, you've made mistakes. 
but you can still fix it because the one is coming who's going to make it all straight, make it all right. So straighten up your path. Get your act together. Make a straight path for the one that's coming because he is the Lord. Now we have fun playing games. We have fun being together. And that's all important. We need to do that this time of year. As we anticipate the coming of Jesus, we need to prepare. And one of the ways we can do that is with our family and friends. Spending time with loved ones is a great time to get those little things that maybe we said or did that we shouldn't have straightened out so that we can make a clear path for Jesus to come into our hearts. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you have given us time to prepare. You've given us warnings. You've given us encouragement. You've given us models to follow. Help us to look in our hearts, look in our lives, and see the things where we have gone astray, where we haven't stayed focused on you. Help us to prepare our hearts and make them make a straight path for you to come right in and make yourself at home. Help us to forgive others and ask for forgiveness when we've done wrong. And we give you all the honor and all the glory because you are the greatest gift, the King forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. We pray that you will open our minds and our hearts to receive from you. I pray that you will speak clearly through me and to me also. Lord, we all need to hear from you and be transformed. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes I talk about politics in here and nobody likes it very much, including me, actually. Um, And our political situation in this country is super polarized, but I hope it's not too much of a stretch or too um, controversial to say that there isn't anybody, there isn't any politician anywhere that is going to completely solve all of our problems, right? I get really skeptical, I don't care which party it is, Um, when I see campaign slogans, I'm just skeptical of all of them. I just, I just am. Like, at this point, I, I I have trouble believing all these things. And then we also see around the world actual dictators in countries. There's a notable dictator who's uh, making a whole lot of ruckus over in Europe right now. And um, what happens when somebody wants to be ruler of everything? (laughs) Yeah, you get, what's that? People die, yeah. Or wars start and don't seem to stop. And people get oppressed and people get shut down or it's just kind of horrible, right? People who try to be rulers over everything, I can't think of one good one. So, what do we do with this idea of Jesus being the king of everything? Well, but he is. 
<laughs> but he is. So today is Peace Sunday in Advent. We are going to talk about peace, and we have many times talked about peace in this church. And we remember, I'm just going to remind you, even though we've said this before, um, in the Bible, the concept of peace is a little bit bigger than, or maybe a lot bigger, than our idea of the absence of conflict. It is the absence of conflict, but it's more than that. It is, the word for this in Hebrew is shalom, you've heard it before, um, and it means complete well-being. So not only are you not fighting with people, not only are there not wars, but you, your body is healthy and whole, and your mind is fine, and you have what you need, you don't have this excess of things, but you, you don't lack for anything. Can we imagine a world where there is a ruler who is so true to his promises he will actually do more than we ask or imagine? In Ephesians, which we studied really recently, uh, the Apostle Paul actually says that God, Jesus, will do more than we ask or imagine. And we can say that, but it's really hard to imagine. And even when we bring it down to our own individual lives, our smaller lives, um, we can see that there is a lack of shalom in most of our day-to-day, down-to-earth life. We have some already, not yet, we talked about already, not yet, um, last week, and we have some of that really front and center right now, if we want to talk about the holidays, or if we want to talk about the church kitchen. Let's talk about the church kitchen for a second. We already have a kitchen committee, and we already have a plan, and we already have a contractor, and we have, we already have everything out of the kitchen, but for at least until recently, I'm not sure what the status is, but when I wrote this, we did not have a building permit yet. And we have not started the actual construction yet. So, in some sense, we already have a new kitchen, but we don't yet have a new kitchen, right? Um, The holidays, I think that most of us have an image of what the holidays, this season of the year, should be like. And the truth behind our holidays is assured. God has really, for Thanksgiving, God has really provided for us, and we really have things that we can be thankful for. And for Christmas and for Advent and Christmas, God really did come to earth as a baby to live among us and rescue us, and we can celebrate that. And yet, the actual holidays don't always turn out as we hope. We get distracted from the reason for the season, or somebody gets sick, or we remember people who have died, or... This is true, and I've experienced some of this myself, but also I've talked to people recently who have talked about this. Conflicts get bigger around the holidays. Part of this is because everybody has their expectations of how it's supposed to work, and not everybody's expectations are the same. But anyway, so we have the truth, the already truth that's behind the holidays, and then we have how they actually play out. But Jesus is the Prince of Peace. So, how can we live the already 
of the true shalom, the true peace that Jesus already brought in a not yet world where the effects of a pandemic are still going on, where wars never seem to end, where some of our family members might not be talking to us or we might not be talking to them. How can we live this shalom that Jesus already brought? First, let's back up a little bit and remind ourselves what this really means about Jesus and the Prince of Peace. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace in the prophecies in the book of Isaiah. We didn't read that specific passage, but Tom did read a passage from Isaiah. Isaiah does a lot of prophesying about the coming Messiah. And in Isaiah, Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. So it's already true. Jesus is already the Prince of Peace. He has already brought the potential of shalom to our spirits when we have received him into our lives or when we have entered into his life. In Ephesians, we were told that God the Father has put all things under Jesus' feet. That means Jesus is in authority over everything. (coughs) So now, at this point, we might call Jesus the King of Peace. When the already and the not yet are reconciled into the now when Jesus returns, the truth will become clear. Jesus is the good king of everything. And we see this in the passage that Tom read for us this morning in Isaiah 11. This passage that he read is often called the peaceable kingdom. Uh, Maybe if I meant to look up the page numbers in the pew bibles for these passages but maybe if you can real quick look up isaiah 11 for yourselves 491 thank you (laughs) apparently it's on page 491 in the pew bibles what is the part of that passage that is the most attention grabbing or maybe you remember what tom read a kid sticking his hand in a viper's nest yeah that's pretty attention grabbing Animals live together in peace, or enemies? Is it enemies? Yeah, okay. And a lion eating straw. Yeah, that's, that's pretty attention-grabbing. So it's funny to me, this was one of my favorite passages as a child because I really loved animals. I didn't know much about animals, but I really liked them. And I loved this idea of all these animals being together and a little child leading them. And I thought, maybe I could be that kid. I want to be that kid. Um, that's the part that grabs our attention. But something has to make that crazy animal enemies coming together possible, right? And the part that makes that possible is what Isaiah calls the, the branch from the root of Jesse or from the stump of Jesse. So Jesse was David's, King David's dad, and he was the grandson of Ruth. We did a sermon series on Ruth once here. Um, and that's a sort of indirect way that Isaiah has of saying that a descendant of Jesse is David. And a descendant of David is going to come who is going to fulfill all this, who is going to bring such shalom to the world that even a lion and a cow can hang out safely together, or a wolf and a sheep. It, and it will be fine, and a little kid can play with poisonous snakes, and you don't have to worry. 
But the thing that there's a person who makes that possible. What are the qualities of the king of peace or the king of everything from this passage? It's in verses one through five mostly. The spirit of the Lord. Oh, the fear of the Lord. Okay. What is that? Yes. So he is full of God's spirit. He has wisdom and strength, and he delights in God. And he doesn't judge out of his own head or other body part that you might substitute in there. He's not just going to go by what, say, he feels like or what other his buddies want him to do. He's not going to be influenced like all of our politicians are by where the money is. He won't decide, that's what, he won't decide by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears means. He will be truly just. He will take care of the people who have been oppressed. He will bring up the downtrodden. He will bring real justice. So real justice is depicted in this passage um, as safety, reconciliation of all things, depicted as wild animals and domestic animals and kids all somehow being together and being okay. I suspect that when Jesus comes back, really, all these different animals will be able to coexist together, and little kids can go for a ride on a lion. I really hope that's true anyway. But I also think that this is, uh, it's a literal picture, but it's also a metaphor of what God intends to do, the kind of all-encompassing peace that Jesus came to bring and eventually will bring in fullness. So we're probably, you know that we're reading through lectionary passages this year, and there are at least four passages a week, and I'm probably not going to point out every single one in every single sermon, but this week we're going to look at all of them. So Psalm 72, we actually read in our responsive reading. It's right in your bulletin. And if you opened up your Bible and looked at it, your Bible would most likely tell you that it is a psalm of Solomon. Who is Solomon? David's son, right. So he's in the line of this branch of Jesse, the, the shoot of Jesse. Um, look at this psalm. Who is the king that's being prayed for here? Oh, if you want to look it up in the Pew Bible, it's page 414. Thanks, Ron. Who is the king that's being prayed for? Do you think? One who's going to come? You said Jesus. Does anyone else see that? Or do you think it could be somebody else? It could be Solomon. Psalm 72. Well, my answer is, it's hard to tell. Who is he praying for? If you really look at this psalm, the requests sound a little over the top for an ordinary king. Like, 
May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills, the fruit of righteousness. That Does that have anything to do with the king? Maybe. But it seems just really extravagant, which you could pray that for a regular human king. But it sounds kind of more like it's about a messiah. But do we really need to pray for the messiah like this? What have we said? Let's see how, how much of anything <laughs> we remember in here. What have we said God's intention for humans is? His big cosmic intention. What is God's intention for humans? Why did he make us? Okay, to worship him, how? To have a relationship with him, to be one with him, through love. Yes. I guess so. Okay, back to the, the temple thing. I, what I'm hesitating with on all those answers is they're all very individual focused. And that is not, if, if that was what God's intention was, he could have just kept it at Adam. But he said it is not good for humans to be alone, for the human to be alone. God wants us to be in community with him for each other and the rest of creation. God made humans to represent him to each other and to all of creation. And that's why the animals in Isaiah 11 are important, because that's a picture of all of creation benefiting from the peace that God wants to bring through humans. A little child shall lead them. So, God expresses himself through all of creation, but God wants to express himself in a special way through human beings, men and women. So, what if, in, what if the king in this psalm is the Messiah, and is Solomon, and is all the branches from Jesse's stump? There were a lot of kings in David's line who ruled. What if it's all of them, and also all of God's redeemed people learning to act like Jesus in the world? Human beings are supposed to, we're made in the image of God, and we are supposed to reflect who God is to the world. Jesus did that perfectly, and as we become like Jesus, we start to do it more and more too. So, what if when Jesus is king of everything, which he is already, but kind of not yet, what if when he is established as king of everything, we are also kings and queens under him? Guess what? That's the answer. We are. We are to be images of God in the world, icons of God in the world. We are, uh, Kathleen's smiling, so I'm just going to say it for you, Narnia fan, kings and queens of Narnia. What are we praying for us smaller kings and queens of the world. What kinds of kings and queens are we meant to be? We can get this from Romans 15. We're meant to be the type of king or queen that Jesus is. In verse 4 of Romans 15, the Apostle Paul says, which Sharon read this for us, 
For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Everything that was written in the past, like Isaiah 11 or Psalm 72, those things were written before. Those are in the Old Testament. Romans is in the New Testament. Becoming icons of the king has something to do with how we relate to each other. This is why I wasn't quite saying yes to all of those answers about what God's intention is for. How we relate to each other has, shows something about God that cannot be shown just to an individual person. And so in verse 5 of Romans 15, Paul says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Jesus Christ had. Can we think about each other the way Jesus Christ thinks about us or about each other? What if you encountered someone and you had a not shalom-ish interaction with them and then all of a sudden, you saw that person the way Jesus sees them. Can you imagine that happening? That actually happened to me one time. It was the coolest thing ever. And it changed. It didn't instantly change, but over time, it really changed my relationship with that other person. Because in that moment, in spite of other things that happened afterwards, I knew how much Jesus loved that person. We can probably ask God for help seeing each other the way God sees each other. In verse 6, Paul says, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is about unity and reconciliation again. It brings us to praise God and it brings glory to God. When you have somebody as different if you have two people as different as a wolf and a sheep able to exist peacefully together because Jesus is there, there's nothing to do but praise God because there is absolutely no way that's happening all by itself. It's just not. So God will be praised as we learn to love each other like Jesus does. What kind of attitude did Christ have towards us? In verse 7, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. How has Christ accepted us? Freely and fully before we could even begin to deserve it. We didn't deserve God's love. We didn't deserve for God to save us. But God has accepted us for his own sake, with his own love, and his accepting, receiving love does not leave us where we are. His love accepts, and because it accepts, it transforms. It's not the kind of love that just kind of, like, sucks you in and then you can't move and you just stay how you are forever and ever because you're stuck that way. No, he accepts us, and then the nature of his love is to change us and make, a, make us more like that love. He makes us to be more like him, 
And so then we become people of unity, people of reconciliation, people of justice, people of peace. We become shalom people. In Matthew 3, 1 to 12, John the Baptist is the herald of the king of everything. And in verses 10 to 7, roughly, um, it says, When John the baptizer saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers. Vipers? Have we seen vipers before today? Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Part of how God's reign of peace over everything comes is through repentance, through turning away from ourselves toward God. Clearing out the things that do not make for peace injustice and immorality in our own lives. Repentance bears fruit, the fruit of reconciliation. When we repent, Jesus can say, or John the Baptist can call the Pharisees and Sadducees vipers, but we know that in the peaceable kingdom of Shalom, even the vipers could repent and be part of this peaceable kingdom. We just have to clear away the things that separate us that cause conflict, that cause oppression. Paul in Romans brings in one of his favorite themes from Galatians and Ephesians too. The most crazily different people are one before Christ at the foot of his cross. In verses 8 and 9 he says, For I tell you that as Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And in this passage, Paul paraphrases Isaiah 11 to make that exact point. Even though the Gentiles and the, even the Gentiles and the Jews will be reconciled before God. It is crazy like the animals hanging out with each other in Isaiah 11. In verse 12 of Romans 15, Paul says, and again Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up one who will arise to rule over the nations, and in him the Gentiles will hope. So he takes this piece of Isaiah 11, and he semi-quotes it. He paraphrases it a little bit. He doesn't quote it word for word. But by quoting the first part of this passage, Paul is making his readers think of the rest of it. And he's comparing the reconciliation among people with this reconciliation of unlikely animals. By ourselves... Multi-generational conflict and violence is never going to end. Doesn't matter who's in political power. It's not going to happen on our own steam. It's also not even going to happen on our own steam within our families. Never mind our nation or in other parts of the world. But when Jesus returns and takes his seat as king of everything, the impossible cows and lions hanging out, will become possible. Peace, shalom, will be the rule of the day. There will be peace, and we already have the potential of that peace in us with the Holy Spirit who lives in us, and we can start to live it out now. Peace on earth, or the Prince of Peace, the King of Peace, only works if Jesus is allowed to be king of literally everything in our lives even before he comes. 
He's already done the work of reconciliation through his death on the cross. All we have to do is repent from trying to be kings and queens of our own lives, and maybe of other people's, and let him be king of everything through us. So, we're going to sing a hymn together, and then we will celebrate the kingship of the one who is so powerful, he humbled himself to become one of us, died so we could be reconciled to him and each other, and rose again. The communion hymn is 697, Eat This Bread. <laughs> 